Welcome to New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise Podcast, the podcast for serious hockey players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their hockey careers. And now, here is your host, New England Hockey Journal's Kirk Ludicky. Welcome to the New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise Podcast. I'm your host, Kirk Ludicky, and thank you for joining us today. We have a lot going on at HockeyJournal.com. Check us out, become a subscriber, and get access to our exclusive content covering hockey at all levels throughout the region and beyond. The RinkWise podcast is free. You can subscribe or download on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or our website, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. We're joined today by University of Maine men's hockey head coach Ben Barr via Zoom. We are so glad to be joined today by University of Maine head coach, Ben Barr. Uh, ben, thanks for joining us, and uh, welcome to the RinkWise podcast. Thanks for having me, Kirk. It's great to be here. understand you guys finished practice. How's everything uh, shaping up with the Black Bears squad? The guys are working hard. We have our, we have our peaks and valleys uh, day to day, and we're trying to get to a, to a place where we can keep our, you know, our focus and intensity up for an entire practice and you know that'll carry over into games which that's been uh that's been a an issue for us to start a little bit just being able to maintain um you know a high high level for extended period periods of time we show flashes and then we have breakdowns that, that end up in the back of our net so um we're up and down but the guys are working hard and they're they got a great attitude and that's um as a coach, that's kind of what you're looking for. Right, right. Now we're going to absolutely delve into that more, but you and I had a had a pretty good chat when you first came on board as, as coach, and we talked about your background, and we talked about where you wanted to go, and this would be a, we figured this would be a perfect time to have you on the podcast so we can update it and, and really let the listeners know and the people that, that are so interested in, in the changes that are that are going on at, at the University of Maine and now that you've you've taken that program over. I've, of course I wanna again pass on my condolences to Red Gendron's family and it's it, it was a tough situation, but you know from from that, um the legacy he left, you're in a you're in a great position and and you have the ability to to take it to the next level now with this team and uh so I, I, I did want to start with that and just say, uh, tell little the folks about where you came from. I mean, you're not the, you're not the I guess, the traditional uh, Northeastern uh, product. You know, tell us where, where, you, where you grew up and, and how things in your hockey path and development took you. Sure. Um, yeah, I grew up in, in Duluth, Minnesota, um, I lived there. My, both my folks went to Minnesota University of Minnesota Duluth. Uh, I grew up just down the street from there, and you know that's a an unbelievable hockey town. You know, obviously Minnesota is a great hockey state. Uh, I grew up um, probably a half a block from the rink that the outdoor rink that I played on until I was probably twelve. So in Duluth, there's like ten or twelve youth organizations within the city itself. Cause there's so many players that there's so many people, you know, players that play hockey, everyone plays hockey. So, and they're all outdoor rinks for the most part. So there was only at the time, I think there was three indoor rinks, including where the deck, which is where the Bulldogs used to play. So there's really only two outdoor rinks that you could, or indoor rinks that you could skate on in Duluth when I was a, when I was a little kid. And this is for, you know, probably thousands of, of young hockey players. So we skated outside until, until we were 11, 12 years old. And uh, my dad and all of the parents in their organizations would go down and they'd take turns every week flooding the rink, you know, in the middle of the night. I think they had a good time doing it as much as they used to complain about it. They'd just go and, you know, they'd uh, they'd hang out with their buddies in the middle of the night and do things they probably uh, couldn't do at work or at home with the fam. So it was, uh, you know, they had a good time doing that. But that's what I grew up seeing, you know, that's, it's a great kind of grassroots hockey environment in Duluth. And um, I feel very fortunate that I, that I grew up there just to, I could kind of go and skate whenever I wanted. And um, it's hard to do that, you know, in, in today's, today's world, just pick up your skates and walk down the block and go skate on the outdoor ice. And I could do that almost, almost whenever I wanted to from the time I was five years old until the time I was 12. And um, 
then I was uh, fortunate enough to go to Deschetic St. Mary's. We moved, my family moved down there when I started high school at the Faribault. My dad and my uncle had gone to, um, to Shattuck when it was a military school back in the seventies. And I just happened, they always wanted me to go to high school there. It was kind of, you know, something they were very prideful of. And, um, and then it just happened to be when I started there, it was 1996 is when JP Parisi was there. Uh, he, it was when, you know, he came and he brought, you know, Zach and Jordy, his kids and you know, the Eves family was there. And then you know, all these phenomenal coaches were there at that time. So I got an unbelievable education from them. Um, from there, ended up at RPI uh, for college. You know, that was kind of growing up in Minnesota, not where I had thought I would end up going to school. And um, but they were the school or one of the schools that would allow me to come as an 18 year old. And my parents didn't really understand junior hockey wasn't what it is today. Back then, it, you know, it was more of a you go there as a 19 or 20 year old to, to try to make it. And, and there was kind of a myth that if you didn't get to the division one level, it'd be hard to get into school just period because this, the colleges wouldn't um you know, would wonder what you were doing for a year or two, right? Why didn't you just go to school? So, and that was, that wasn't true, but that was kind of the myth back in the day. So I went right to RPI as an 18 year old, played four years there. I graduated. It was a, it was a lockout year in the NHL, which made it really hard to get into pro hockey at any level. Um, so I started coaching a peewee team, uh, ended up volunteering for a year and a half back at RPI. And then got my first job with, with Nate Lehman at union, just kind of by default. Cause he lost, uh, he lost Billy Riga as an assistant like a week before school started. And I happened to just be living there. I was living 20 minutes away and I kind of just got, got the job by default and right. been coaching ever since. Yeah. And uh, I mean, no, so much there. Um, let's unpack a bit because it is, sure. uh, it is fascinating. We, and we had a conversation I want to start with Shattuck. You told me over the summer that you came in at a time, there was a time when, the future of Shattuck was up in the air like they, that like the hockey might not have ever happened and it's hard to imagine a world where you don't have Shattuck St. Mary's but that's that's what was so so you kind of got in on the ground floor when they went to this this model that has made that name iconic in hockey circles how did that all come about and who were some of the key players in that development yeah so um Greg Kiefer was the headmaster of the school at the time and uh he had he had been at Shattuck for years and years and years, like, you know, I think decades actually. And he had coached, he had actually taught and, um, and coached my dad and my uncle when they were there and, and play. And that was back in the day we'd coach hockey and football and do you, coaches would coach multiple sports and that kind of stuff. Um, and, and I think in the, in the early nineties at Shattuck was very close to actually closing its doors for good. And, um, you know, John Sumner was a longtime hockey coach there. And, uh, you know, Greg Kiefer and, and a lot of these people that um, it's a small community. There's only a couple hundred students at the time. Now I think it's five, 600 students. But they made a they, they made a decision where they wanted to be they needed to be excellent at something in order to attract more, you know, students to come to come to school there. And they, and they decided that hockey was going to be kind of there. They had a hockey rink on on the campus. It was something that they thought they could be really, really good at. And, it, and they started, it was, uh, it was Craig Norwich, Mike Eves, um, you know, Mike Eves is still coaching in the American league, longtime Wisconsin coach. Um, and Craig Norwich were the two that they originally brought in. That was before I got, that was a couple of years before uh, my freshman year. And, um, and, and I think bringing people like that in attracted the JP Parisi's down the road and the Andy Murray's uh, Brian Riley was there for a few years coaching the the prep team. Who's now the the coach at Army for many many years, um, you, you know. And then, and then Tom Ward was he he arrived there my senior year. He was my coach. So again, it was just I, I just you know you feel just super lucky that that was you were there at that time. You know, like you you know we all we all get good breaks and maybe bad breaks in our lives over the course of you know years and years and years and. And for me, that was just a really, um, that was just a good break that I got to be there when, when Shattuck was turning that, uh, their hockey program into what it is, because I was, you know, I wasn't a special hockey player by any means. I threw my buddies that I grew up with that lived in Faribault too. Like we all ended up, um, you know, Max Bold, Troy Weebler, Mike Carpentier, we all kind of 
ended up being college hockey players. Max went to Denver. Troy went to Bentley. I went to RPI. Mike had to quit. He had a heart condition. was a really good player with us, one of our best friends. Like, we were just there at the time where we could become Division One players just because we we listened to the people that were there. That was really it. We weren't hmm. – none of us were phenoms or anything like that. You know, the top players that we played with were like Ben and Patty, Zach Parisi, obviously. Those guys were the top players. But, you know, they were such good teammates and good players too that they made everybody else better just like the coaches did. So um, I can't say enough good things about, you know, just what I learned there. And there were some tough times too. So, you know, like they – it's they're unwavering in what they in what they believe in there as far as you know hockey and being in person you know how do you conduct yourself character that kind of stuff so you had some tough lessons along along the way but I just look back to that time as so formative for me and so fortunate that I got to be there at that time. I mean, you you mentioned a lot of names that are you know just really established coaches in the game at, at all of the levels, right? All of them, and so to be around that, I think. Sometimes people underestimate just how much that that can do for you, especially when you're you're a young player in your formative years, because you really had an opportunity to see what right looked like. Yeah, I mean, I had some really, you know, and, and we all have tough times growing up in, in hockey. You know, when you're playing competitive hockey, so it, it's it's almost harder to be a 12, 13, 14 year old kid playing AAA hockey places now than it is to to be here or be a pro, even you know, because there's so much uncertainty and it's so competitive and parents are still involved. And, um, but yeah, like it, it was never, it, I had my disappointments at Shattuck a couple of the years. I didn't make teams that I wanted to make there. I thought I deserved to make, but they were always there to tell you what you need to do to get better, how to do it. And it was always honest and may not be what you wanted to hear, but it was always honest. And, um, you know, I just took those lessons with me, I think, through, you know, my, as long as I got to play. And now, now as a coach, I just, I still talk to those guys back there. I still talk to Coach Warden, I can. And, you know, obviously, JP passed a few years ago. He was, you know, a phenomenal person. I worked for Andy Murray, who coached me one year when I was there. I worked at Western with him. So it, it was just such a great community. And they really cared about everybody's success. It wasn't uh Hey, we we exist here for one or two high end players, you know, like that. That's not what that's not what Shattuck is built on. One of the things I take away from from having you heard you say that is that you, know, you were a, a player that had to really work to establish yourself. You said I, you know you weren't a star player, and and you had the opportunity to play and be a D one player. But how effective is that? And, and, and having gone through that, when you're dealing with players because the vast majority of players you deal with as a coach, they're not your super, you, you, you know, there's only a couple superstars and star players. Everyone else has to be part of that cog that, you know, be a cog in the machine and they have to buy in. And how, how did those experiences really, it sounds like it really helped you over the years in your coaching to be able to relate to everyone on your team from the top to the, to the, to the role players that, that have to scrap for every bit of ice time. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you look, you know, and then I got to work with Nate Lehman, obviously at Union and Providence, right? And he was, you know, he he was the hardest working guy I'd, I'd seen at the time. And, um, you know, but he was, a, he was a D3 player, had to work to get to that point, you know? So, like, it, that's just another example of, you know, when you have to go through all those, that, that process. And um, I've used it in recruiting, you know, just, you know, we all, we all kind of see the world through our own individual experiences, I guess, you know, and that can be a good thing or a bad thing, I guess, you know, because, you know, your experience is definitely not the same as, as um, the next guy's experience. So you have to, you have to be open to, to understanding everyone's, everybody's different, but when you have experiences that, may, that are tough, I think it helps you appreciate maybe some of the players that are going through it when you're recruiting um, hey, this player might not be the one that everybody wants today, but if he or she figures that th- figures it out and they, they've been playing junior hockey for three or four years, coming up through it, a lot of times those players end up being the players that at 22, 23, 24, um, you know, and end up being the, the players that, that, are, that are really, really good that, that keep playing, that make it to the NHL, you know? And uh, so that's what, that's what that taught me um, is that like, if you just keep going and going, you put your head down 
and you, you know, you don't complain. Um, you just don't let yourself be denied. I, I think I learned that there and, you know, hopefully I can, I can carry that with me here too. Yeah. And I think as I recall from our conversation, you talked about early, early on as a, an assistant, you were doing a lot of recruiting, but you recognized at some point, you know, what? I really need to learn how to be a coach. I need to, ha- to be involved in the day to day coaching, the things that, you know, running the practices and doing the detailed work and the, 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 the game planning and preparation in order to be able to take it to the next level. Where did you, you know, what, what, what was the inflection point for you where you determined that and then really got the opportunity to do that and, and, and were able to build on your body of work as an assistant? Yeah, I think it was after, you know, I'd been at three years at Union and three years at Providence with Nate. And, um, you know, I started, I was 20, I think I was 25 years old when I started at Union with Nate. And, um, you know, six, fast forward six years, I'm 31. And we had, you know, we had built two programs that were, you know, having national success at the time. Um, and I was, you know, I was the young guy in the staff running around. You know, we had Rick at, at um, Rick Bennett was at, at Union, was, a, you know, the more experienced older guy. Um, and then when I was at uh, Providence, we had Jamie Russell, who was that role. So it was there that I realized I needed to, you know, I had done the recruiting thing. Um, you know, we never, I didn't have it, the world figured out by any means, but I, you know, I think I had shown that I could do that at two different schools, different environments. Um, it was the same thing. So I, I, I just, I realized that I needed to, to put myself in a role where I could learn the, you know, more of the coaching part. And uh, I mean, believe me, I learned a ton from me and, um, there might not be a better guy for a young, young coach to go learn from, um, than him. And, uh, but sometimes the structure of the staff makes it, makes it tough to be, you know, especially when you're the guy doing the recruiting and the team's doing well, well, there's not going to be a reason to change that necessarily, you know? So it was a tough decision leaving Providence because they won the next year and I knew the team was going to be really, really good. And, you know, it was tough to leave Nate, um, cause he had given me my shot and we're, you know, we're still, friends and all that kind of stuff. But that was really that after that third year at Providence, I realized that, you know, that's when I went to Western and then a few years later went to UMass. Um, that's when I knew, I knew I needed to keep learning and uh, I, I might have to make a change to do that. I guess I forgot that you had left right before that, yeah. that, that national champion. Who were some of the guys that you were really instrumental in bringing into that, that, that team that eventually, you know, won and won and beat BU in, in 2015. Yeah. I mean, I mean, really that team was the, you know, that was a three years that that was, a, that was the fourth year that, that after Nate had got there that they won. So the three years before that was, you know, that was, we basically recruited a whole, you know, an entirely new team. So, I mean, that the guys that obviously John Gillies was really changed, um, you know, really changed that, uh, the dynamic of that program. When you get a high, high end goalie like that, the second year we were there, um, uh, I, I actually saw, he lives in Maine, so he's from Maine. So I actually saw him this summer. He stopped by over here. I hadn't seen him in a while. And, uh, I remember I had to trick him to get him to answer my call because there was, uh, he was, he was up in the air, whether he was going to go to the Quebec league. Patrick Wall was actually, cause he was coaching, I think the Quebec remparts at the time. Uh-huh. And, uh, so he was recruiting John really hard and he's from, you know, obviously from not that far up here in Maine, not that far away from Quebec. So I remember I, I had to call John like 10 times before he finally answered. And uh, I said, Hey, we got a great opportunity for you at Providence and it all worked out. But I, I still joke with him that today about, um, you know, you still, do you, do you regret answering that call ever? Cause I, I actually called, I think from a different number to get him to, cause he re, I was probably calling him a whole bunch and he knew my number by that time. So, yeah, there you um, go. But, you know, that team was, that team was really special. It was made up of a lot of guys that, um, you know, to, to the conversation we just got done with, had to work for everything. And a lot of those guys are still playing today, and you would have never in a million years, you know, thought that they would be guys that are playing in the NHL. Yeah. That's guys like Noel Achari, right. Kevin Rooney. Mm-hmm. I'm watching the Rangers play last night, and Kevin Rooney's playing three-on-three. Three. I mean, there was a time Kevin Rooney broke his wrist his, after, his, I think it was his freshman year, really bad surgery. Like there was a time he could barely even stick handle for his sophomore, junior year at Providence, you know, and he was probably playing the fourth line. He's playing the NHL and uh, Brandon Tanev. Um, 
you know, Mark Jankowski, these guys, John Gilmore. Like, it's amazing the amount of players that are playing the NHL from that team. But And what really strikes me is that most of them are guys that, you know, Mark Jankowski turned into a first-round draft. It was a really – turned into a high-end guy from, from Stansted College. But those other guys, like, they weren't recruited over anybody. They right. just worked and worked and worked and worked. And, like, to see some of them make careers and making, you know, multi-year NHL careers, doing what they're doing is really – it's fun to watch. Yeah, the story I'm fond of telling with Nola Chari is I went to see him play in the prep tournament that year. Again, they ended up in the final game against Milton Academy. And uh, my boss at the Redline Report was like, well, you know, who did you like? And it was and, you know, Noel Achari. And he just, at the time, the, the, the draft boat had essentially sailed on him. He was a little older. and But, uh, you know, to his credit, he ran my report. And I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, I, I discovered him. But I certainly am. I haven't been surprised uh, because he was just so hard and physical mm-hmm. and worked. And I, that, that, that work ethic, I think, is what propelled Achari to, to great heights and he's been a heck of an NHL player for what he does I agree there's just not he's kind of a throwback player and there's not many guys that are that are as tough as that kid and um and the same same could be said for for Tanev and Rooney I mean those guys aren't making it on their skill levels you know they're making it on their on their toughness and their and their willingness to buy into the role that they play and, and the, um the grit you know credit to those guys and um but we had a whole a team full of that. It wasn't a team of superstars. You know, John Gillies was a superstar college goalie, obviously. And um, you know, he'll I hope, you know, that he keeps playing and he and he and he gets his shot someday to to stick up in the big show. But he was a fin- like from day one, he came in and just completely changed things around. And you know, another player that did that that doesn't get many many accolades is Ross Mauerman. Wow. Ross Mauerman was a was basically a walk-on from the um from the North American league as a 20 year old, he begged us to take him the year that Nate and I went to Providence that summer. And uh, we didn't want to take him because we didn't have money and it was expensive and we didn't know what our team was like. And he came in, in August, a couple weeks before school started and literally we had a paper application filled out and uh, we ended up taking him. And I think he led the team in scoring for four years and was the captain of that national championship team. Like that's the kind of story you don't hear that much about. Right. It's an unbelievable story, you know, and um, he, he was an unbelievable kid, humble, hardworking, like those type of kids are what really changes your culture around. You right. know? And, and credit to Ross for believing in himself enough and having the confidence, right? Because I mean, it's a it's a balance. Some kids, and I, I dealt with this in the USHL, they, they kind of try to market themselves a little bit and maybe a little over the top. But what, what would you tell kids, players that are aspiring and, and maybe are, are, are a little overlooked or feel like that, that people just don't know about them because they don't have the exposure. What would you offer? What kind of advice would you offer to them as a, as a, as a head coach and a recruiter to, to kind of do it the right way without maybe, you know, going over, going over the top, so to speak. Yeah. I think, um, you know, usually when you do things, when you're a good, when you're a coachable kid and you work hard and your coaches like you, um, I remember his coach at the time was Dane Litke. I don't know if you remember that name. He was a, he played at North Dakota back in the day. I don't think he, he coached in Jane. He was coaching in Janesville. And um, Dane would call me about like, so I was coaching or I was recruiting Ross a little bit at union. We didn't have room. Like union's team at that time was, you know, was really, really good. So we didn't have, we didn't have a spot for him at union. And I remember when we went, when that summer, when Nate and I went over, he sent me a postcard to say, Hey, just keep me in mind. If Ross, like a postcard, like, you know, who sends postcards anymore? It was like a postcard with a, I, I think it might've been a picture of him when he was a little kid. It was like a hard, like tiny little thing like this. And um, I'm like, man, this kid just, and that was it. Right. And then he ended up flying himself out with his dad to Providence from Wisconsin. And, um, but his coach believed in him, you know, and he knew like, it's always better when you're hearing as a coach at our level, or, you know, you, and then, like when you hear about how much another coach loves a player, it always means more than hearing how much, you know, right from that player himself. It's the same in recruiting in our world, right? Like if we want to, if I'm going to recruit a player, I don't get on the phone and tell them how great University of Maine is or how great a coach I am. You know, like no one wants to hear that, you know, like I encourage that, you know, go talk to somebody, you know, maybe, you know, somebody that's played 
for me or with me or you know knows about our program here at Maine like and, and ask them because that's where you'll get a real honest answer and um you know to answer your question there with Ross like everybody like just everybody around that kid loved them and it was the same with all those players that I just mentioned and like we built a team of guys like that and unbelievable things happen you know that was <laughs> that's how that, that's how you won a national championship. Well, kind of followed yeah. a similar path then at, at UMass, right? I mean, I remember you, you guys certainly first first year with with Coach Carvel, not not uh, not the <laughs> shining success that has become the standard. I think people forget, uh, you know, especially with the success the program has had in recent years, they forget what it was like. Um, but did you take? Uh, you notice you look at the model, the recruiting model at, at UMass, and so many players from outside of the New England area that came in and really impacted those teams and helped get the Minutemen to ultimately what you guys were able to do a year ago, where you, you know, and it was tough. You the year before you you come so close and and you come up short, and then just the the ability to reload and come back at it and then close the deal. How how special was that for you? Yeah, it was it was so special. Um, you know, and obviously all the things that we were going through and everybody was going through in the world the last few years. And, um, you know, UMass was very similar. The, the one difference, you know, we that second year, so we won five games that first year. That was a long year, you know, and that was, uh, you know, it seems like a long time ago, but it's crazy. That was only, only five years ago that, um, you know, we won five games that first year. I think we lost our last 17 or 18 games. So, um you know, but it was the same kind of, it was the same philosophy and, um, you know, with, with Carvey and D Mike and, you know, we were just looking for the right people, you know, like we were looking for the right people and it's, it's easy to, you know, it's easy to get caught up looking for the right hockey players, but sometimes you lose, you lose sight of, of finding the right people that are going to work within what you're trying to do. And we all make mistakes and we all bring student athletes into environments that maybe they shouldn't be in because we're not doing our enough homework and that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, the difference at UMass was, you know, we got, you know, having, getting a player like Kale McCarr and Mario Ferraro, that's that, that second year, you know, like that was that we were very, very fortunate, you know, because, you know, Kale, we didn't recruit, you know, like he was already committed there. It still comes. Um, Mario was a player that I had recruited um, to Western and, you know, he came when I, when I, when I left Western there and he came over to us. So getting two defensemen that are both NHL defensemen in one year, really, that was, that was our equivalent of getting John Gillies in that, you know, like they were just game changers from day one for us. And they were culture changers more so, you know, even more so like two of the best people you'll ever meet. And, you know, when you get players like that, that are also phenomenal teammates and just unbelievable people um, that, that was a game changer for us. And then, you know, when, when we lost the national championship game three, you know, in 19, 2019 there, a lot of people thought that the program, cause those guys all left, you know, and um, you know, when, when you lose Mario and you lose, and you lose kale, you know, we still obviously had Johnny Leonard and Miss Chafee and, and some of these players and Mark Delgado and Zach Jones came, but a lot of people thought when kale left, cause he was such a, you know, a, a high profile player, and we knew, like, we knew that he was a culture driver and things weren't going to be any different, you know. So, obviously, we had the COVID year and our team was really starting to play well when COVID hit. And then last year was was different, but it was just a continuation from that experience we had in 2019. And um, I have no doubt they'll continue that process over there this year and into the future. Yeah, and a great way to segue to to what you're doing now. So. You've had a chance to get in there to Orno and establish yourself and establish what what do you what do you what is your vision? What do you come in as a as a as a as a new head coach, first time behind the bench, so to speak, as the head coach? Um, what were some of the, the first things you wanted to do right away? And I'm I'm also gonna ask you about your staff, but just from a personal perspective of just you yourself as you as you looked at it, looked at the situation, you got the job. What what was most important to you to establishing right away when you got to Maine? Yeah, I think I mean, and it sounds cliche, but I don't wanna call we just have to establish an identity and a culture here, you know, and um and I'm not saying that that hasn't been here in the past. I mean, I we have really, really good kids in our um in our locker room. It's, it's fun to be around them. They all want to learn. Um, 
but we have to, you know, changing the infrastructure of how our program is set up, um, how we operate, how efficient we are as a staff and as a program. That's like, that's always the biggest challenge. You always, you know, on the outside, you think like, oh, you got to go and recruit and get a bunch of really good players. And yes, we do have to, you know, recruiting is a huge part of what we do. Um, but we have to fix what we have, what, what we see our issues within, you know, administratively, uh, efficiencies wise within our program, because like, if we don't, if we don't take care of those things, um, the environment for our players to develop is not going to be what it needs to be. And that's, um, that's really what I learned the last five years with, with Carvey and D Mike and all the people that work at UMass. Like we find, you know, and it took a few years, it's not easy, but it, to find the right people to go, you know, to find the right volunteer coach that does skills with your team, find the right hockey ops director, um, you know, we have to create that environment where our players know they can come in here every day and improve wherever they want, whether it's video, they can go on the ice. Obviously, we have practice. The practice is just a small part of what we're trying to do. You know, it's um, the guys want to do individual skills work. We have to have the ability for them to do that. And a lot of times it's not the uh, it's not the coach. It's not the assistants that are doing They're on the road recruiting. Right. So I can do some of it. But you know, as a head coach, you have a lot of other responsibilities outside of practice. So we have Danny Perez and, um, you know, there's a, there's our volunteer coach. He's, he's out, he's doing skills with our guys every day. He's doing a phenomenal job. Uh, we brought in Matt Vandenberg, who's another, um, highly qualified, uh, hockey guy to, to run our video and kind of be our, our hockey ops person. We don't have a full-time hockey ops person right now, which, um, you know, that's something we have to address. So, Hockey's a small world. I know Matt from when he was coaching the Milwaukee Junior Admirals 15 years, and then he was yeah. in the Phoenix, you know, Junior Coyotes. He's a he's a friend, and and I think you, you know, great great addition to your staff because he works and he's got character and he just wants to do whatever's asked of him. No question, he's been like, and I didn't even know him. He was introduced to me from a few people that I know, mutual friends, and um, he's actually living in living at my house with me because I could this all happened right at the end of August and it, right. it was hard for him to find a place to live. But I mean, he'll, he'll go through the wall for you and he, and he's smart and he's um, so, you know, just making sure that our players have access to people like, like that outside of, you know, me and the, and, and Forge and Alfie, um, you know, that's, that's the, that's the biggest thing to address these for this first year or two is because that, that wasn't, we haven't really had a, any, any structure in the summer for our players, you know, like it's hard to win in hockey East if we're asking, you know, our players are leaving at the beginning of May and coming back September 1st and say, Hey, let's go beat, you know, let's go play BC or UMass or BU and, and win, you know, like we have to bring our program to the, to the present. And, um, you know, like those are some of the things that, yeah, on top of making sure that we are they're recruiting well, we're recruiting top-notch student athletes, hungry, driven character, character players. But, you know, first and foremost, we have to look within ourselves to make sure that we're doing the best we can do to help our program get better every day. New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise podcast will return after this message. Catch the Sacred Heart University Pioneers on the ice this season. The Pioneers Division I men and women's hockey programs will not disappoint. Season ticket packages and individual tickets are on sale now at sacredheartpioneers.com. And opening in 2023, Sacred Heart University's Martiri Family Arena, a brand new 122,000 square foot premier skating facility in Fairfield, Connecticut. Learn more at sacredheartpioneers.com. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. 
If you love college hockey and want an inside look at the game, get a copy of the book, Great Game, D1 College Hockey, People, Places, Perspectives. From the emotions of Frozen Fours to the atmosphere and classic venues, Bruce Haas has captured the passion that people have for the college game through interviews with players, coaches, officials, and fans. No other book captures the spirit of college hockey like this does. Great Game makes a great gift for the holidays for a college hockey fan. Score your copy of Great Game today on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Ataskabooks.com, or at your local bookstore. I know from our previous conversation, there was a, a pretty famous Maine black bear that you had a had a close personal relationship and had a chance to to, to do some coaching with and some work with. Um, how heavily did you lean on some of the legacy? You know, Maine. You know, Pete, you know, I imagine you you've talked to to quite a few people that were around when Maine went on their great run in the '90s and, and into the 2000s. And just curious as to how that that insight that you've gotten from others that are that grew up with the program and and have been there or at least know what's been going on, how that's helped you. Yeah, it's um, yeah that Jim Montgomery was the the gentleman that I you know got to. I volunteered at RPI when he was an assistant there. So that's how I got to know him. We shared an office for a year. Um, you know, he was as smart of a hockey person as I've ever met. Uh, obviously he's had success everywhere he's been, you know, junior college pro, um, you know, so he, he was on the, uh, on the search committee here to, you know, with Ken Ralph, he put the, and Brian Faison who put that search committee together with Gar Snow and Bruce Major and, um, you know, so having him, having known him was, was really, you know, a huge help for me. And he's been, a, he's been a phenomenal friend ever since I worked with him. This was, I think, 2007, 2008, mm-hmm. that we were at RPI together. So um, there's so many prominent alums in this program. Um, I've tried to talk to as many as I, as I can. I still probably haven't talked. We have, I don't know what the number is, but you look at the wall when you, you know, in the lobby of the Alphon, and there's an NHL wall. And there's dozens and dozens and dozens of NHL players. And the program has really only been around since I think the seventies or so it's not like we're talking about 110 years of history here. You know, we're talking about, you know, 50. And um, so it's really humbling. It's really amazing. You know, the tradition of this program. And, um, you know, for me, it's, you know, how do I, how can I lean on, on those people to, to help us bring it back? And, uh, you know, how can we build on it? You know, like I, that's the other thing that I think is something that we, you know, sometimes the past successes make, you know, make it hard for you to move forward and make and change things, thinking things are always going to be the way they were. And that's, um, you know, I, I think, you know, we're going to renovate our rink here. We're going to get a, you know, the, in the next couple a couple of years, we're going to have a 20 plus million dollar renovation of Alphon, which will help. Um you know, I, I told our players, like, we can't rely on just because we, we're wearing the University of Maine jersey that that's going to guarantee us, like, okay, well, we're going to be we're going to be in the top half of the league and, you know, people are going to respect us because we're Maine. You know, like, that's not how the hockey world works. A lot has changed in the last 20, 25 years, um, and we have to change with it, you know, and, I, and that's, that's my job to, to help our program and our culture change with, all the changes that are, that are happening in college hockey and in the world in general. One of your prestigious alumni is uh, on your staff, Alfie Michaud. Talk about uh, how important he's been to the continuity because you're coming in from from the outside. You're coming in from a different program, and and um, you know having someone there that you could lean on that that knew how th- knows how things work that was there and and understands it, but has also been there as a coach and 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 knows. You don't want to say where the bodies are buried, but maybe, you know, <laughs> certainly knows a lot about the program and, and, and was able to help you with that transition. Yeah, he's been he's been great. Um, I didn't get to spend much time with him this summer because he was he was traveling everywhere. Um, so he was, you know, he's really embraced his role. Um, you know, I think he like I, 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 I he's going to be in a different role than he was with the previous staff. And I think he's really excited about that. And um you know, so, so for me, like, yeah, he knows everything about the university. He's been here a long time. He played here. Um, he knows what it was like 
when there was success, you know, he was, on, he was a goalie in the last national championship team. So he, um, but he also realizes like what needs to change. And that's, that's very helpful for me, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm sure there's times where he, you know, because he was on the previous staff and now we're trying to change a lot of things that make it tough for him sometimes because, you know, he was there before and now like we're trying to do this differently, but he's handled it so well. And he's, and he's such a good person. Um, he's a great coach. Um, so yeah, he's been, he's been really, really good for me making the transition. And, you know, Maine is a, it's a small community up here. So like, it's not like we're in a big metropolitan area where, you know, people come and go all the time. A lot of the people that live here and that, have, that are part of this program have been here for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And it's, so you're, you have to be, you have to be respectful and mindful of that and treat people well, especially when you're going through a, you know, a time of change. You said his roles changed a bit. Tell us more. What what, what is uh, Alfie doing this this time around that was a little different from before? Well, he's always been. I mean, obviously he was a goalie, so he's always done, you know, a phenomenal job with the goalies up here. And obviously one of his you know former goalies is you know obviously Swayman is playing in Boston now, doing a great yeah. job. And Another guy on the NHL wall, right? Yeah, he's up there, and you know, so they, and there's been a, a history of goalies here the last you know Bishop and. Um, you know, Howard and all these guys. So there's just so many of them and darling. So like, you know, he's always had that. Um, he's now working with our defensemen and, you know, and he's having a you know, more prominent role recruiting. I think you know, my understanding was he was here. It was kind of like, you're, you're coaching the goalies, you know, you'll be involved in the recruiting part, but, you know, I think it's important for, because I know what I went through as an assistant, it's important for them to feel like they're always getting better and being able to do things, you know, and he's a, he does, he works with our penalty kill. Um, and he's, you know, I'm, I oversee things and, you know, I learned that from Carvey at, at UMass, like you have to let people live and learn in their, in their positions, you know, and um, delegate, they're not going to be perfect at it from day one. I, you know, like I, the only way I got to, to, you know, to learn, you know, the things that, that I think I know are from experience. Right. That's the only way to learn. So, um, you know, I'm going to push those guys. I'm going to push Elf to, you know, Hey, like let's, you take control of it, you know, like let's go. And, um, same with Jason and same with Danny and the skills and Matt, like, um, obviously I'm here to oversee everything as a head coach. And, um, but I, I think that was one thing Carby did a really good job is he, he allowed us to, you know, D Mike and I and whoever our, our, our volunteer was at the time, he allowed all of us to be who we wanted to be and live and learn. And um, that was a really good lesson for me. Yeah, Jason's got some pretty good uh, coaching credentials and some experience, you know, and like just interested in how that came together for you. Yeah. So Jason was one of the, the first junior coaches I met when I started at Union. He, I, I think he actually was the first. I went to a game in Ontario. Actually, it was in Buffalo. It was the OJHL. He was coaching the Vaughn Vipers at the time that no longer exist. Mm. And um, I went down after the game and wanted to talk to one of his players, and he was super honest with me about that player. And I guess I didn't expect that as a 25-year-old first-time assistant watching my first junior game you know, you, you kind of expect like when a college goes and talks to a, you know, a junior coach, like even if they, if he thinks I'm crazy, he's going to tell, yeah, you know, like you should, you know, that he's a great player and that kind of stuff. And he was just the honesty by which he talked and it wasn't good or bad. It was just like, this is what this player is. This is what this player is. This is what I think. And uh, I always knew from that day that I, you know, and we kept that relationship going and he was coaching Mario Ferraro in, uh, in Toronto at the time when I recruited him at Western. And, you know, and so he was the reason he ended up at Mario, ended up at UMass. So we just always had a great relationship. Um, I, we just appreciated each other's honesty. And uh, so I always knew, like, I always used to joke with him, if I ever get a head coaching job, would he come? And he never thought that it would work because he didn't go to college in the States. He was an OHL player. Um, I think he has a two-year degree in Canada, which, you know, some schools won't, you know, really go through that process with a Canadian that didn't play in college. So there's a lot of hoops to jump for, jump through to, to make it happen here. And, you know, Ken Ralph, RAD at Maine, like, you know, worked with, with us on it, which was great. I'm really appreciative of that. But, you know, Forge has been a head coach in many different junior leagues. He's won championships all over the place. Right. So 
for me, he, he, I learned a lot from him too, you know, and um, he keeps me centered and focused a little bit when, cause I'm going through learning how to be a head coach. Uh, not necessarily the hockey stuff, just all the other stuff that, that come with it, especially at a school like me. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of things, time management and a lot of, a lot of things that we do up here that, um, because it's, it's a big deal in our state and that's, um, that's an honor and a privilege. And he really helps me stay grounded and makes me laugh every, a couple times a day too, yeah, which is helpful. That's so important. Mario Ferraro, like what a, what a good play, man. I remember watching him at the Bucky, Bucky arena back in the day when oh. he was playing for Des Moines. And yeah, I remember, you know, t- telling people, you know, Kale McCarr is one thing. I mean, he's, that's Kale McCarr, but don't, don't sleep on Ferraro because he is a heck of a, Heck of a player. He was a great teacher and player at college. And, and like you said, now he's in the NHL. There's something to be said you know, on that. That doesn't happen by accident, right? He's been no, coached well. Jason had him when he was 15, 16 years old, mm-hmm. the Toronto Patriots and the OJ. And um, I remember he called me on him and I went and Mario was probably like five foot two. Mario didn't grow until yeah. he was like 17, 18 years old. Right. He was this tiny little kid and he had huge feet. He's running all over the place, like, you know, taking on guys that were a foot bigger than him. And, you know, once he grew, so like, you know, Forge saw it, he goes like, this kid has a, he has a motor like you never see. And, and like, it's even at the NHL level, you watch him, like he plays on the, on the West Coast in San Jose, so you don't get to see that. You know, we don't see it as much out here because it's so late. I think he leads their team in minutes. Like, he led their team in, in minutes played last year. And he, he, it's not because he's the most skilled player out there. It, it's his, his work ethic and his character. It's unbelievable. It's, it's hard to even describe you have to be around it for a couple. Uh, you saw it on the ice. Yeah. In the USHL. Well, my, my lasting memory yeah. was him picking Ellie Tolvanen's pocket. Uh, Tolvanen was going in on a, on a, on a play and he kind of slowed up and Mario beat feet back, stole the puck from him and then f- reversed it so quickly. And then Des Moines had a breakaway and they scored and blew a, a tie game open on that, that play. And then, then the, the, the floodgates open, but that's what you're talking about. That work ethic. It's like, he never gets tired. So like you don't see a lot of guys, and he takes care of himself, and he—I I mean, he works. Sometimes you think it's you're like, hey Mario, you maybe need to get a rest every now and then, but he for some reason he doesn't. He's just wired differently, and he can just go and go and go, and it's truly impressive. Yeah. So let's talk about the recruiting because I mean, anybody that's been following college recruiting news, there was a a tsunami. Maybe uh, a flood, maybe a a uh, a burst of uh, of recruitment coming come, coming out of the University of Maine. Can you talk about that because I mean I know you know you, you you've talked extensively about the importance of recruiting, um, but it's not necessarily volume. It's 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 quality. And you had said something to me over the summer that really stuck with me, and that is you got to get guys who want to be here, who want yeah. to be a part of the program. So how yeah. did, how did that go for you this summer? Well. I've just found, you know, I think sometimes you get in, I don't know, you, you get in a, there, whether it's a rut or you, you know, there's certain assumptions people make of, you know, people, like it's hard to recruit people to go to Maine or, you know, like um, no one wants to go that far up New England. And, you know, like we actually had the same thing. At, people said the same thing at UMass. And people thought UMass was a lot because, Really, our, our league is centered around Boston, right? So if we go and, and direct most of our recruiting efforts in Boston or, you know, the metro area or down in the, you know, Connecticut, and I, yeah, I think we're going to hear that a lot. I think we're, you know, um, I think we had one player on our team from Massachusetts last year at UMass, you know? So, but if you, if you open your mind up to, you know, the rest of the world and, uh you know, cause there's a lot of good hockey players out there. You'll find that there's, I mean, I've been blown away by the amount of, by the, the response when you play, you know, calling on behalf of the university of Maine, you know, like I've never been at a school that had that kind of tradition before. We always had to establish that tradition, you know, UMass and Providence had a little bit union was Western. Like those places are, you know, not places that have had traditional long-term, you know, history of success. So, you know, when, when you start talking to these kids, like I, I was really blown away. It was really different for me because like the response was great. And, uh, you know, once you get a, a player or two here and there, then it's like, and it just kind of builds on itself, you know, and um, it's the same thing that's happened in other places. So 
you know, we, we hit the ground pretty hard this summer. The next few years recruiting is going to make or break our program, you know, and um, so that's, you know, the, the challenge for us is finding, it's the same five years ago at UMass, finding guys that can come in next year and, and, and help us right away, you know, and that's, it's, it's easier to find guys that are two, three years down the road because, you know, there's still players available out there and, you know, can we find a couple of players in junior hockey, the, the O1s and O2s that are ready to come here and, and, and step into an opportunity that they might not normally have in hockey East um, somewhere else, you know, and that's usually happens when there's a new staff or a new coach. And, um, you know, like, and I think having gone through it a couple of times, maybe that kind of gives, you know, when you make that call and you kind of explain to explain to a player, like, Hey, this opportunity is, you're not going to find this very often. You know, it was the same thing five years ago and we were recruiting, you know, the Mitch Chafees and the Mario's and those guys to come to, to come to UMass. Those players might not have been given the same opportunity right away that they were given at UMass and they took it and they ran with it, you know? So those are the conversations that we're having with players that this is a phenomenal opportunity for you to come here next year or the year after, whenever that might be. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not the, the coach that promises, you know, you're going to play on the first line in the power play or we are starting goalie or whatever, but, I can promise you, you're going to have an opportunity to play in most situations. And then what you do with that opportunity over the course of your three or four years, however long you're here is up to you. We're going to create an environment where you're going to develop. You're going to be pushed every day. Um, when we're, when, when you're not playing as much as you want to, we're going to show you why we're going to tell you why we're going to work on, we're going to help you fix the things that we think you need to fix. Um, you know, because that development piece is really the, the biggest piece and, um, I guess maybe having, having been through it a few other places, I don't want to say makes it, you know, I don't want to say makes recruiting easier or anything like that, but maybe it gives you a little bit of credibility, especially with, with the agents and the, and the coaches that these players are playing, playing for, you know, cause I have relationships with a lot of them and we're, we're going to go through that same process here, which I'm excited about. Sure. And, you know, a couple points, one, where, where your program is, you, you think, Guys just want an opportunity. Guys just want to be a part of something. And, and you know, a lot of the, the schools that have those traditions and, and, and are also at the top of their conference, you know, they're going to get the guys that are younger and, you know, we're, we're the ones that were heavily recruited as, as younger players and committed right away. But a program like yours, Ben, I think you have the chance to really take your time and assess those older, more mature, more seasoned, more well-rounded and, and add the right kind of guys to the mix and do the very things you said that you'll come in and you'll be given every opportunity to, to play meaningful minutes. Yeah. I mean, as you know, Kirk, there's not, there's not a lot of players now that commit the year before they go to the school, right? Like a lot of times it's, you know, m- most schools are out there recruiting young kids, 16, 17, 18 years old. So like, the ones that are 19 or 20, you know, playing in junior hockey, whether it's the USHL or BCHL or whatever, that are kind of blossoming at, you know, that 19 or 20 year old range. Those are the ones that, that really kind of have the world, you know, in their palms because they can, they can go look at a program and say, my opportunity there is, is 10 times what it'll be at another, at another program. And, um, you know, so the, the, the right ones kind of will search you out if you're doing your homework, you know, and the, and the right players will kind of reveal themselves to you. And um, I've always believed that. And it's been true everywhere I've been where, you know, you make that call and you, and you present that opportunity and you, you have that conversation with somebody. And some of them are going to be are just going to be like, wow, like that's what I've been looking for. And some of them might be looking for something else. And that's OK, too. But I'm not a great I'm not. I'm not the best salesman on the planet. I'm not the best, uh, you know, I, I recruiting to me is more about just having a conversation and explaining like what a mutual relationship of, of two like-minded people, whether a, a student athlete and a coaching staff, what that can do for, for someone's future and what that can do for your college experience. And that's what we're trying to, to get, to get across to these players that we're looking at for the next few years here. And it certainly doesn't hurt. And we touched on them earlier, but it, it, I suddenly made the connection when you were talking, you were naming famous main goalies in years past. And it hit me, Jeremy Swayman is, is working with Mike Dunham. 
Hmm. And so another one. Yeah. <laughs> right. Gar Snow. Gar <laughs> so Mike Dunamay. But but do you know that does that are you able to leverage that? I mean, you've got a, a young I mean, I think just watching Jeremy Swim and watching him the other night and in starting the, the opening night game and playing a pretty good Dallas Stars team and essentially shutting them down. Uh, if it hadn't been for one defensive breakdown, he probably posts a shutout in that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so grounded, like such a great kid. Like he's just got a tremendous character. But does that help you guys? You know, just being able to to know that when you're talking to players, you can you can remind them, hey, you know, this is a winning program. This is a this is a a, a school that produced a player of that caliber. And you know, g- you know, give it give it serious thought. It may not be. You know, in the, the the forefront of your mind right now, but but think about it. Is that does that help you guys? It, it always helps to have alums that are um, doing well. You know, like that. It kind of goes with you know your current student athletes. Like they they sell your program better than you're ever going to sell your program. Right. You know, your alums that are are playing the NHL or elsewhere. Um, you know, your current players that are our buddies with their junior that uh, players that are still in playing junior in USHL or North American in BC, wherever it is, Alberta, like those are the ones that are, that are sell you, that, that will sell your program more so than, than any of us assistants. will. you know, we'll, or, you know, us coaches will like, we'll, we'll go out and watch. You can watch every player on the planet play any game online. Now you obviously we can go on the road physically again this year, which is nice, but, um, yeah, having having a player like Jeremy out there doing well, especially in the Boston market, right. uh, you know, is definitely helpful. Um, you faced him. You 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 saw it up close and oh. personal. <laughs> Coming from he, UMass, he, he was he was phenomenal. Yeah, I remember like D Mike saying sick when I asked him yeah. the, the first year <laughs> when 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 Jeremy Swayman was a freshman, and I said, "How's yeah. Swayman doing?" <laughs> sick. You kind you kind of just waited. Yeah, you kind of just waited. It was very similar to like when we had. John at, at Providence, right? Like he just got in the first game. He's out there stopping everything. And it just never really stopped. I mean, he had one or two bad games over his three years or whatever, but like same with Jeremy, you know, you just like, he came here and I remember we played him early on, I think, um, you know, there at UMass. And I mean, we, we played well and put a pile of shots on him and just made it look easy, you know? So yeah, he, he, he's a, I think he has a, a really long future in front of him and, um, you know, obviously, we're all proud of them up yeah. here. And, um, you know, you're, you, you're building it, right? And Rome wasn't built in the day, and you know that, and you're realistic, and you've had experiences that you know to that effect. So it's it's been great to be able to to talk to you, and, and, and you get a chance to kind of share your vision and how, you know, how things things are, um, you know, progressing for you and, and, and where you hope to go. And it's exciting to, to know that the Alphon is going to be able to have some nice upgrades that will certainly help on the recruiting side, but also on the, the team and the culture side, right? Because you can't ask guys to go out and win and, and lay it on the line and then not give them the, the tools they need yeah. right, to get the most out of them. Um, is there anything on your, on the, on anything else on the, on the, the vision side of things that you, you really want to try to try to establish or do here in the, in the short term that will you know, lead to the long term? No, I think it's just, you know, we, we try to get a little bit better every day, you know, and we, we try to, you know, we established our core values as a program this summer, you know, and, um, you know, we kind of keep those to ourselves, you know, in our locker room, but, you know, the challenge is it's one thing to put words up on the walls and, and sayings and quotes and all that kind of stuff. The challenge is like, how do you, how do you live your live by those all the time, you know, and how do we, and that's what, you know, me as a, as the head coach and our staff, like we need to, we need to, we need to live by those first and foremost, um, you know, for us to make sure we're getting better, you know, that our team is, is living by them every day. And, um, you know, but if we do that and we stay true to who we are, uh, you know, we, we stay humble. I, I, re- I really believe that, uh, you know, main hockey will, the black bears will be, um, where everyone wants to see them again. And that's um, in the NCAA tournament, you know, competing for, for championships every single year. And uh, it's going to, you know, it, like you said, it's not, it's not an overnight thing, but, you know, I like the guys we have in our locker room right now. They're giving everything they, they're capable of giving. And we're, we're trying to convince them that they're capable of giving a little bit more and doing it the right way. And um, it's an exciting time, and I'm just really, you know, Excited and honored and humbled to be here. 
Well, I again, I really appreciate you taking the time. I think the Hockey East is better when teams like Maine are better. You know, it's just, you know, you always have the, you, you mentioned it earlier, the Boston area schools, but hey, you know, the Vermonts, the New Hampshires, the Maines, you guys, these schools matter and they're, they're important to the fabric of the Hockey East. And when those teams are competitive and, and, and create tough outs for the top programs, the, 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 the teams that are year after year, what we will say, the perennial contenders, uh, the whole conference is better for it. And so uh, we salute you there. I'm going to ask to tease a little more hockey knowledge out of you. We're going to go do a rapid fire round next. Yep. Put you on the hot seat a little bit. Um, see how you do. But uh, again, Coach Ben Barr, uh, it's been a, a privilege to have you on the show and, and we appreciate it. So with that, let's go to rapid fire. It's time for rapid fire. All right. First question. Favorite NHL and college hockey teams growing up? Uh, I was a Minnesota North Star fan, and uh, I was a UMD Bulldog fan. Grew up in Duluth. So on on that that note, who were your favorite NHL and college players for those teams as a kid? I mean, Mike Madonna was was he was kind of a, he came into the league when I was a kid with the North Stars. He was kind of a guy we all looked up to back in the day. You know, my generation in Minnesota. Um, as a as a college player, uh, Derek Plant was an unbelievable college player at UMD. Um, him and Chris Marinucci, who I think Chris won the Hobie one year. He did. Um, I think it was ninety four. Those two, yeah, those two. You're, you're, you know everything. That's impressive. Um, but yeah, the early nineties, those two were they they had a line there that, that was phenomenal. You know, it was um, it wasn't for Maine. It was probably you know like I, you know ninety three when Maine won. Like I think. You know, Derek Plant had almost 100 points or something that year. So yeah, um, his, his yeah. kid's not too bad either. I'm sure yeah, no, he's, yeah, pretty darn good. Yeah. <laughs> All right, good. Uh, what's your favorite sport outside of hockey? Um, I I grew up a golfer. You know, I, I so I, I play golf when I can. I mean, right now with young kids and whatnot, it's uh, that doesn't have that didn't happen at all this summer with the move and everything. But sure. I played golf at Shattuck growing up, so that was a. And then I'm a I'm a I'm a big I love watching. NFL football. I'm just a big NFL guy too. So for to watch, I'm an NFL Vikings. Guy. I'm a Vikings guy. Of course, yeah. yeah. I I would expect nothing less. <laughs> I, you know. um, so this next one's going to be tough, and it doesn't have to be necessarily one. But knowing your your background with the the coaching tree, what uh, coach you learned the most from as a player? Coach, I learned the most from as a player growing up. Um, you know, having Andy Murray as a coach our junior year at Shattuck was. Uh, you know, was really, um, that was eye opening to have a, a, a coach that was a pro coach come and coach us, you know? So that was really eye opening there. I had some other great coaches there. JP coached me one year, Parisi, Alex Moody. And as a young kid, I, my dad coached me growing up when I was a young kid playing on the pond, you know? So my dad, Rick was, a, was a hockey player growing up. And, uh, so he was the one that kind of got me involved and I owe a lot of, you know, what I've been able to do as a hockey player and a coach to him. So great, great answer. I know dad, when he's listening, he's going to appreciate yep. that. So, so good on you. Most respected teammate you ever played with. Oh, I played with that. I mean, I, I, I got to play with some really good ones, but when I was at Shattuck, Ben Eves was, um, him and I, we were in the same class together and he was like as good as they got. And he, you know, went to BC, had a phenomenal college career and played, but he, you know, he got injury in, injuries ended his, uh, you know, ended his career a little bit early and, you know, it's hard. He had some knee issues and stuff, but as a young player, he was, he was a guy that made everyone else better. And, um, he was kind of, it was kind of similar to what Kale and Mario did for us at UMass, like phenomenal players, but very humble and not, they always played the game the right way and respected the game. What's your favorite memory from your championship run at UMass? Um, There's so there were so many good ones, but um, you know probably just seeing the players after the game. Like last year was so weird for everybody, but seeing them get to see their after that championship game was the first time any of them had seen their families the whole oh, in eight wow. months. Really, and um, so just being able to see them do that and the, you know on the ice after the game and and then um, you know I have a picture. It's actually right back here with with Carvey and D Mike, and you know we all just kind of had the, the trophy that was. It was cool spending five years with them and being able to see it through and 
and, and end, you know, my time there at least um, with the championship is pretty special. You don't get to do that very often. All right, last question. Non-hockey athlete you most admire? I, I loved watching Tiger growing up. You know, like he, it, it's hard to imagine a, a, somebody dominating a sport like he did. You know, like, I don't know if we see that. I mean, you kind of see that with like maybe like a Tom Brady now and stuff like, but, you know, an individual sport to be, to, to sustain the level he sustained for, for those years and being just so, so good was so impressive, you know? So he was, you know, when I was a young kid, he was come. you know, I think 97, he won the masters or whatever. That was, I think I was a sophomore in high school. So you just like everyone in the golf, everyone in the world was just kind of enthralled watching him for, you know, those early two thousands and stuff. So that's, you know, he was, he was one of my favorites growing up. Wow. Well, you have survived rapid fire coach Barr again. Thank you so much for joining us and, and all the best to you and your, your coaches, players, and, and, uh, in your program. Thanks for having me, Kirk. It was a lot of fun. All right. Thanks. This concludes another New England Hockey Journal Rinkwise podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Ben Barr. Be sure to join us for another in-depth hockey discussion next week. Until next time, we'll see you at the rink. Thanks for listening to New England Hockey Journal's Rinkwise podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast platforms. Follow us on Twitter at NE Hockey Journal, on Instagram and Facebook at New England Hockey Journal, and subscribe to New England Hockey Journal online at hockeyjournal.com. New England Hockey Journal's Rinkwise is a Siemens Media Podcast.